Welcome to the Seeing Red Podcast. Well, that's right, that's right. It is another edition here of the Seeing Red Podcast. My name is Troy Moriello and I am your host, bringing you up to date and up to speed on all things St. John's basketball. And we have a bit of a late night Seeing Red Podcast after the Red Storm's 80-69 to win at home at Carneseca Arena over Providence. They take down the Friars by 11 in a game that they really controlled throughout. And an impressive win for the Johnnies in their first game without Mustafa Heron for the rest of the season as they improve to 14-11 and overall. And more importantly, 3-9 and in the conference and that, that quest that I've been talking about over the last uh, couple of weeks, that quest to five wins in the conference now, looks a little bit more attainable now after this home win over Providence. And like I said, a game that St. John's really controlled uh, throughout. It was a very, very long game. It was not a very, very good uh, officiated game. The referees called a total of 46 fouls. In this game, both coaches were teed up, and and that's the sign of when you know it was a very poorly officiated game, when both coaches are, are, are teed up, when both sides are complaining, you know? You know, you can, you can always say with, with officials, one side is always going to be complaining, one way or the other. One side is always going to feel like they're being jaded in the game, no matter what, and is going to be complaining towards the officials, always. When both sides are complaining, that's when you know the officials had a rough night, and they really had a rough night in this one. Um, I thought the worst of them all was the was the hook and hold. Uh, was it Carraher who got who got called for the hook and hold? I think the first one, uh, just a brutal, brutal call, led to Mike Anderson getting teed up, and at that point, it looked like it was going to open the door to get Providence back in the game. Uh, as a result of the hook and hold flagrant foul, the technical foul on Mike Anderson. They called another hook and hold on St. John's uh, in the second half. As a result of all that, Providence got what was a, I think, 13 or 14 St. John's uh, point St. John's lead down to a four-point lead midway through that second half. And it looked like this game was going to kind of turn at that moment. You know, the crowd was obviously not only deflated, but kind of angry and anxious. And I think all of St. John's fans were kind of thinking to themselves, oh, no, here we go again. Here's going to be the moment where we blow this big lead. Here was that opening that Providence needed to get back in this game. And uh, give St. John's credit. They hung around. Providence never got any closer than four, I don't believe, in the uh, in the second half. And St. John's got that lead right back up. Eventually, that lead ballooned, I think, to as large as 15. And they finished with the 11-point win in a game like that, like I said, they really controlled throughout. They played well in this game. The entire first half was played at St. John's Temple. Up and down, up and down. A lot of turnovers for Providence. 24 turnovers in this game. I I think it was their most since 2013, I believe. St. John's with 12 steals. They turned the ball over 13 times as well. But anytime you force another team into 24 turnovers, it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to play defense, and it's going to be a hell of a lot easier to play offense. St. John's got out in transition. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but they got out in transition a lot in the first half as well after forcing those turnovers. And it just made the game a lot easier for the Red storm who score 80 points in this game. And I'll be honest, going into this game, I felt uh, pretty confident, more so confident than I had been really in the last few games, I think, since they really last played DePaul. Uh, I know that Providence came into this game 6-5 and five in the conference, kind of middle in the pack in the conference, but I think St. John's is really just as good of a team as Providence, to be honest. 
I also think Providence does poorly. Really, the things that St. John's does poorly, at least on the defensive end. You know, St. John's uh, defends the three really terribly. We all know that. They are one of the worst. I think they're the worst team in the conference at defending the three. They do not defend the perimeter well at all. And Providence does not shoot the three ball well at all. They're the worst uh, three-point shooting team in the conference. And in this game, they shot 6 of 22 as well uh, from beyond the arc, 27%. So you saw that in this game. And that's kind of how I felt with the first game as well. I just kind of felt like, you know, when this game gets to Karnaseka Arena, that that St. John's would kind of control the game. It would be a different type of game. And that's really exactly uh, what happened. So give me credit there. Uh, a self-pat on the back there for myself calling that. But the uh, but the Red Storm, they improved now to 14 and 11, 3 and 9 in the conference. A lot of good games and a lot of good uh, performances to highlight in this one. LJ Figueroa led the way with 19 points. He shot 4 of 9 from 3-point range. Three of those threes came in the first half. He seemed a lot more confident in this game. I heard Steve Lapis on the broadcast note, LJ Figueroa feels like he's everywhere in this game because it did. He had the 19 points. He had four steals. He had two assists. He was just kind of doing a little bit of everything in this game. Shot six of 14. You felt like he was pretty energized. Maybe he knew because Mustafa Heron is now done for the year, obviously. Maybe he that, that was in the back of his mind saying, I got to take over this game. But he definitely felt like he was you know playing in the flow of the game and really felt like, like Lapis mentioned, he was everywhere on the court for St. John led the way with 19 points, but there were a lot of good performances. Julian Champagny finishes with 14 and 7 as well. Great game out of him. How about Marcellus Erlington, though? One game after he has a career high against Creighton, he comes out, he scores 12 points, he grabs 6 rebounds as well. He has 3 assists as well. St. John's, by the way, 17 assists on 27 made field goals. It is no it is no uh, coincidence that when the Red Storm win these games, when they when they win the three uh, Big East games that they've won so far, their assist to field goal ratio is off the charts. And you saw it again in this game. 17 assists, 27 made field goals. They were passing the ball. They were moving on offense. How many times in this game did we see St. John's standing at the perimeter and you know running around and not knowing what to do, and suddenly the shot clock is at six seconds, and now Rasheem Dunn's got to force something? Maybe once, maybe twice. There was movement. You know, there were guys attacking the basket. There were guys cutting to the basket. There were screens being set. There was a, a coherent offense being played for what feels like the first time in, in forever. There wasn't as much iso ball. And when there was, it worked. When there was, it was LJ Figueroa going to the basket. Or Rasheem Dunn, who finished with 13 points. Him going to the basket. And that's, that's a winning formula for any team, but especially for St. John's, a team that doesn't shoot it exceptionally well from the perimeter. That's, that's the winning formula for them, to get to the basket and to move. And we hadn't seen that the last couple of games. The Creighton game, the Villanova game, even the Georgetown game for that matter. Not a lot of movement. A lot of just waiting and, and seeing what are we going to do now uh, in the last couple of seconds of the shot clock. So credit to that as well, because I felt like the, the ball movement on offense and just the general movement and the flow on offense was so much better in this game than we had seen in the last couple of weeks. And we, we had seen you know periods of that, but this might have been one of their best played offensive games of, of, of the Big East season, obviously, and, and really the entire season. I would say as well. But Marcellus Erlington, back to my original point, 12 points for him, six rebounds, three assists, shot four of 10, and hit two more three-pointers in this game. Erlington has suddenly developed a three-point shot. Uh, He hit three in the other game, and he now hit two in this game as well. You don't want to see him getting uh, too overconfident with it. You know, you still don't feel terribly confident with him. I think he's a 20-something percent three-point shooter uh, coming into this week. So, 
you don't want to see him shooting too many threes and the one that he missed did not look good but at the same time you know if he's feeling it let him fly let him fly because you know at this point it's all about developing yourself for next year and maybe Marcellus Arlington will develop into a three-point shooter next year who knows who really knows um Julian Champagne I mentioned at 14 points Rasheem Dunn with 13 Greg Williams great game from him nine points and seven rebounds the Johnnies were active on the boards in this game um and Williams played a nice game as well actually hit five free throws as well uh someone mentioned I, I believe it was it was my guy CT Fazio mentioned about Greg Williams. He seems almost a little too passive when he gets the ball or, or you know, he's, he's too willing to set his teammates up. I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive. He took seven shots in this game. Don't get me wrong. I'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive, especially on the perimeter. You know, we've seen the kind of three point shooter that Greg Williams can be. I'd like to see him take a couple more threes now, you know, because like I said uh, a couple of seconds ago, you know, this these last couple of games for St. John's is all about just developing yourself for next year. You know, if, if all goes right for the Red Storm, everyone that played in this game tonight will be, besides Nick Rutherford, will be coming back next year. You know, depending on what LJ Figueroa does. But for Williams and Champagny and Roberts and Dunn and Erlington, it's all about developing yourself for next year. Now, obviously, they're not going to say that, but that's what it's about, doing that. So I'd like to see Greg Williams getting some more experience uh, shooting the three ball. And running the point, too. Uh, Rasheem Dunn ran the point for a majority of this game. I'd like to see Williams running the point a little bit more as well. And speaking of running the point, uh, Nick Rutherford, I thought, played a Nick Rutherford game that we saw in the non-conference portion of the St. John's schedule and the early part of the Big East schedule. I don't think we've seen a game this good out of Nick Rutherford in a while. Uh, he played well against Villanova, I feel like, but but I, this was a game out of Nick Rutherford. He only scored six points. He shot three of five, but he was all over the place. Uh, he had two steals in this game. He just felt like he was way more active and way more disruptive on the defensive end than we had seen in the last couple of weeks in games for St. John's. You know, we remember that Nick Rutherford, you know, forcing turnovers, leading the easy baskets for St. John's. We hadn't seen that as much in the last couple of weeks, so it was good to get that Nick Rutherford back. That was something that I noticed, especially in the first half, was when we kind of got that non-conference, that early Big East play, uh, Nick Rutherford back, that sparked so many rallies for St. John's in that time period. So it's been a while, but he he had a nice game as well. Uh, David Carraher scored five points. Overall, though, a very nice offensive game in life. Like I said, a better defensive game. The turnovers were huge for Providence. You know, 24 turnovers in a game. A good amount of them are just going to be unforced. And you saw that tonight with Providence. Some just terrible, terrible passes by Ed Cooley's team. But at the end of the day, give St. John's a hell of a lot of credit for the way that they played defensively in this game. And they were very disruptive. And they played the exact type of game that St. John's wants to play uh, in Biggie's play. They just really haven't been able to do it uh, for much of the way. But they improve now. They get their third win. And like I've been saying, it's it's a quest to five. Can they get to five? That's the question at hand. Will they be able to get to five? Will they be able to remain over 500 to remain uh, in that NIT picture going forward? Uh, because obviously the NCAA is out of the question now. You're pretty much locked into the 8-9 game. I would think you have a, a two-game advantage now in DePaul. I don't see DePaul getting three more wins and you have the tiebreaker, so it's really like three. So you're probably locked into that 8-9 because I don't think that you're going to catch Xavier or Providence for the seven. Either way, you're playing on Wednesday night, but you're probably in that 8-9 game. So you're in that 8-9 game. I would like to get the five wins, though, and I, I think it's a it's a real possibility now that they've gotten this win under their belt. I don't want to get too excited because I did that after the DePaul win uh, a couple weeks ago, and, uh, you know, they, they lost a couple in a row after that. But I think that, you know, Xavier at home is, is a winnable game. 
I'm not going to go in expecting a win like I did a little bit tonight against Providence, which, which, by the way, I have no idea how Providence was favored in this game at all. If you were a betting man, please, or a betting woman, please tell me that you bet uh, St. John's in this game because it was outrageous that they were underdogs in this game. But but uh, going off that, yeah, I, I came into this Providence game really thinking that St. John's was going to win. Going to that Xavier game, I'll, I'll, I'll feel like relatively confident that they can win that game. I won't go in expecting a win, though. But, uh, you know, we'll see about that game. And then, you know, you try to see if you can steal a win, you know, in the other games. Obviously, you know, at Villanova, at Seton Hall, at Butler are, are not going to be uh, winnable games, you wouldn't think. Even home against Creighton after the, what they did against Seton Hall on uh, Wednesday night. Even home against Marquette. Uh, you know, that those are going to be tough games. Those are ranked teams, obviously. But maybe you can steal one. You know, so if you can beat Xavier at home and then try to steal one, you've gotten to five. So we'll, we'll see. But overall tonight, you know, not a whole lot to really be upset about uh, for the Red Storm. A good job. A good job by them and a good job by Mike Anderson as well, getting his third win in the Red Storm, pick up their first non-DePaul win in Big East play in uh, in almost a year, in about 51 weeks it's been since they last won a Big East game over a team not named DePaul. So good, broke the, broke the losing streak against Providence, and now they will try to break the losing streak against Xavier, which I believe is at, is at nine or ten games now. So we'll see. Maybe this is a sign of good things to come uh, for the Red Storm. But... That wraps up my thoughts. I will have some more thoughts at the end of this show on a couple of more, uh, a couple of news items pertaining to the Red Storm, namely Shomori Ponce signing uh, overseas to play in Italy, Mustafa Heron's season-ending injury, and uh, Damian, uh, not Damian Sears, Ian Steers' uh, season-ending suspension for the Red Storm or indefinite suspension for the Red Storm. So my thoughts on those three three news topics are coming up uh, after this interview. But first, we are going to do a quick interview. We're going to welcome on an old friend, uh, David G. Combs, who's coming on for the first time this season. Uh, Rumble in the Garden, obviously, writer for them. He was covering the game at Carnesecca Arena tonight. So we will now welcome on David G. Combs, and I'll be back on the other end to uh, wrap this show up. Hope you guys enjoy. All right, I now want to welcome on an old friend to this podcast, returning for the first time this season. Uh, he covers St. John's games for Rumble in the Garden and does a great job doing that. He is David Combs. David, thank you for coming on today. Uh, thanks for having me. And that was no, too kind of an introduction, but I, <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, no, you do a great job. You were there tonight, obviously, covering the uh, the Red Storm in Carnesecca Arena. Late, late night for you as well. Can we first talk about how long that game was and how it was almost a two and a half or two, three hour college basketball game, almost outrageously long game? Yeah, certainly. I mean, the first half seemed fine. Seemed like a typical game. It uh-huh. was going to be a little longer because Providence can be kind of uh, kind of grindy in their games. But uh, the second half just. Uh, Seemed like the closer it got to the end, the further away it got. So, uh, yeah, definitely took its time ending. Absolutely, and it, it felt like to me, at least, it was it was the officials. Uh, I, at least, what I'm gonna remember out of this game more so than anything was how terrible the officials were. Uh, I said it in my open. You know, when you have basically both sides and both coaches getting teed up and both sides complaining throughout the game, it feels like that's kind of a sign that the officials were just not on their game tonight. I think that was a big part of the reason why the game took so long as well. Uh, what can you say about the officials? I thought that they they were really really bad tonight. Yeah, I think they had a rough night. I mean, I think he tweeted something about Big East officials in general. But, yeah. Uh, I, th- I thought tonight was a little on the rougher side, but um, I-, I think all of this officiating across all of college basketball has been a 
and kind of inconsistent uh-huh. for, for a couple of years now. So I, I don't know if it's a Big East issue, but uh, it was certainly an issue for the Big East tonight. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is, is a really a countrywide uh, issue. My thing is like, you know, there's there was 13 minutes left in that second half, and both teams were in the bonus. Like at some point, you gotta just say we're gonna be playing physical here. We're gonna let them play because you know both teams should not be shooting free throws with with, with you know 10 minutes left, let alone 13 minutes. That's just how I feel. Just felt like the the whistle was was way way too uh, frequent. They were way way too too liberal with the whistle. You know, let them let like let the guys play a little bit. It's Big East basketball, you know. It's these basketball and uh, two teams that can that especially have particularly kind of physical front courts. Yes, yeah. Maybe it's just Robert Robertson Arlington on our side, but mm-hmm. everyone on Providence is going to play a physical game. Yeah. So it's I don't know if referees have scouting reports before they come in, but that seems like something that should have been uh, should have been on the radar. Exactly. Yeah. Like let them muck it up a little bit, but. Uh... But yeah, I mean, the win for St. John's, obviously 11-point win, felt like they they controlled basically the entire game. I mean, they held the lead for really the entire game as well. Uh, I like the way that they started this game, you know, getting off and kind of setting the tone in the first half. I, I felt like in that first half, they really got back to playing their their style of basketball. You know, a, a better offensive, you know, sets, moving the ball a little bit when they were in a half-court offense, but then more importantly, getting out in transition, getting steals, forcing turnovers, getting easy baskets. Just felt like that first half really set the tone for the game that we were going to kind of get back to playing St. John's basketball. And coincidentally, that's pretty much kind of what Mike Anderson said in his post-game press conference. He wanted to get back to playing the way we were playing, the way they were playing okay. earlier in the year. So uh-huh. that's, that's you know forcing turnovers, being aggressive, and you know maybe that means picking up a cheap foul here or there. But mm-hmm. it's get back to the up and down, and because uh, certainly they they weren't playing that well against Creighton, they couldn't get the turnovers, yeah. they couldn't get in the open court. So mm-hmm. um, tonight seemed like a way to kind of get back to the identity and uh, hopefully that can be a something a little more sustainable and consistent over the last uh, six, six games of the season. Exactly, yeah. And it felt like this was, like you mentioned, it was this was a good game to kind of get back to that style of play. Um, you know, not only, you know, because Providence turns it over a lot, but Providence does not shoot the ball well. I think they shot 20-something percent in this game. At least I, I felt like coming into this game, it was a winnable game for St. John's because Providence does not shoot the three well. And they really continued that. I mean, that was a big part of the game, the three-point shooting. Uh, but I do feel like the perimeter defense was at least better for St. John's. There weren't very many wide-open looks uh, for Providence like there were in, in, in you know previous games for St. John's. Do you feel the same way, that, that, that the perimeter defense was a little bit better? I know Providence isn't, doesn't shoot well, but do you feel that way as well? Um, to some extent, and to read earlier, like you said, they were 6-22 of 22 tonight, so I guess like 27%. Yeah. Uh, so Providence doesn't shoot well. I felt like they got a few, uh, a couple more open looks than I would have maybe would have liked, especially especially in those last five minutes when they started making their run. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I agree. But by and large, it looked like they were switching and, uh, and uh, was it, making their defensive rotations a little better than they did, especially against Creighton. Yeah, uh-huh. and, and it's 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 always gonna look better when you're when you're playing against a team that doesn't shoot well. But I do think they did at least a little bit of a better job. Um, let's talk about some player performances uh, real quick. LJ Figueroa led the way for St. John's with 19 points. Uh, you didn't hear this, but on, on the broadcast, uh, it was Steve Lapis. He kind of mentioned it. It felt like Figueroa was was kind of everywhere. 
in this game. He, he scored the 19 points. He also had four steals. He had a couple of assists as well. Felt like he was just kind of all over and, you know, kind of was controlling. He, he was playing within the flow of the game, but he was also kind of controlling the game for St. John's. What did you see out of LJ tonight? Uh, I mean, pretty much that. Uh, we know Mustafa Aaron's likely out for the rest of the year. Yeah. So I, I think part of the thought was, okay, what's, what's LJ going to do with uh, with the rest of the burden? I, I think he picked his spots well. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, agree. he only shot the ball 14 times, so it's not like he was forcing anything tonight. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think he, he helped everyone else on the team distribute those 11 shots a game Mustafa was taking. He kind of helped everyone else distribute those into, into good shots, and I think that panned out for 11 tonight. Mm-hmm. You know that that's an, that's a fantastic point about Heron. You know, Champagny took nine shots tonight. Greg Williams took nine shots tonight. Erlington took ten shots tonight. Um, Heron, obviously, you know, it, it's disappointing to see his collegiate career likely end in in something where you know it's not a very memorable ending. Obviously, to to kind of a disappointing career at St. John's. But like you mentioned, it, it seems like this. I don't want to say it's a good thing, but it is good that now these these younger players like Champagny, like Williams. Williams, like Erlington, they will get more shots up and they will just get more experience now. That has to be a good thing, correct? That they're just going to get now more more shots really really uh, on the offensive end, you know, going looking ahead to next year. I mean, long term, and seeing what we're gonna, what's going to happen next year, I, I think it's, it's a decent indicator. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, I mean, my, Coach Williams has basically been saying all season they're not a two-man team. Mm-hmm. And, and Mustafa did in his time earlier this year, so it's I think that philosophy is kind of paying dividends now where it's not all of a sudden you're having to get these guys to try and buy into that they matter offensively or that they matter in some capacity. It's That's kind of been the narrative all season. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I, I think it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Nobody, I don't think anyone wanted to see Heron go out or go out this way. Yeah. But um, uh, I think it shows just how, how good of a culture Mike Anderson's kind of built and how everyone's kind of bought into that. No, I, I agree. And, go ahead. No, I, I think that was it. I think <laughs> No, no, that's a good point, though. Yeah, it, it is. It is a culture, like you said. You know, it it is guys like Greg Williams, guys like Marcellus Erlington buying in to that culture, and hopefully, as you mentioned, for for uh, years to come. One guy that I didn't touch on on my open that I, I would like you to touch on a little bit right now is Josh Roberts. Uh, he didn't really have you know a, a standout game when you just look at his stats on on their own. Two points. Uh, six rebounds, three assists, and three blocks. I, I feel like Roberts, though, again, played his best game I- in months. You know, he only had the two points. He missed the dunk, the two-handed dunk that he missed, but he had the three blocks, and I felt like he was altering so many more shots today. He grabbed a couple of rebounds as well. Just felt like he was so much more of a pre- presence down low on the defensive end than we've seen in, in, in like about a month from him. Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I kind of do. Basically, every time I see an opposing team with a big guy, I, I kind of always assume that they're going to be the biggest issue we're going to deal with. <laughs> yeah. uh, especially especially recently with uh, Roberts having kind of inconsistent minutes. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, yeah, he, he played ball tonight. He got left on the floor when he had three fouls. And uh, it looked like he got to, got to play like himself again. Like I, I'm not sure what led to that not being the case. Yeah. But it looked like he got to... Got to stay in, got to, got to be aggressive the way he wanted to, but uh, he also did it in a smart manner, again, because having three fouls, he had to had to pick his spots, and, and he doesn't demand the ball offensively. No. Uh-huh. So I think that's really good for the rest of the team, being able to uh, have, have the option to take some shots but not feel like they're not going to get the ball back if they don't. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone else who I feel like, or two other guys that I feel like are playing very, very confident right now, uh, Julian Champagny with his 14 points and seven rebounds. But Marcellus Erlington, 12 points, uh, shot four of 10 from the field and hit two more three-pointers. It, it just feels like you're seeing his confidence continue to grow. Uh, felt like last year he was just, he was so raw offensively, especially. It seems like, you know, game in, game out, we've seen him get more and more confident in his skill set. And now we're seeing it in these last two games. What can you say about him as an offensive threat so far? 12 more points for him tonight. Well, I, I think I like that he hasn't really lost his identity from kind of earlier in the year. Uh, I still kind of see Marcelo Sterlington as kind of a garbage man where he can go and just get his own points yeah. off of other people's misses. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then he's kind of stretched his game to, to, the, to those corner threes. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad he hasn't. I'm glad he's been able to add that, of course. But I'm also glad he hasn't really abandoned the uh, kind of the the gritty work down under. Because sometimes you see when guys all of a sudden could shoot, they they want nothing to do with the physicality. They want nothing to do with the the, the work that it goes to goes into working under the boards. But he's been able to find a, a pretty decent balance, and and you can see how much work he's put into his shot yes. last year. I, Last year, I would cringe any time he touched the ball. But <laughs> yeah. now, it's, I, I feel pretty good. He's got a good-looking stroke, especially from the corner. So uh, I've been very pleased to see, to, very pleased with his progress. That's It's back-to-back double-digit points for him mm-hmm. tonight. Um, so he's, he's been very good, and I, I think he's going to be one of the biggest people to step up and uh, kind of fill that, that heron void. No, I agree, and I'll get you out of here on this. Uh, speaking about filling the Heron void, obviously we have a couple of games now left uh, on the Big East schedule. I've always thought that really from you know the midway point or, or, or you know about a couple of weeks ago, I would say that the goal should be try to get to five conference wins, try to get to five and thirteen. They win tonight now, so they now just need to go uh, two and four in those final six games. Xavier is, is I think, a winnable game coming up. I don't. I don't know if they will win it, but I think that it's a winnable game. And then you're looking to try to steal a game, you know, against a, a Villanova or Butler or Creighton or Marquette. Uh, how, how realistic is that goal now, you know, with the win tonight of getting to maybe a five win uh, conference season? Do you see that as, as still realistic or is that or are we looking more at three or four? Uh, I, I think five is probably the high end. We yeah. kind of end up at the end of the year. Uh-huh. Um Xavier is winnable, sir, but they're playing some of their best basketball this year uh-huh. or of the year as well. They uh, only lost lost by five to Butler, mm-hmm. um, so they're they're kind of coming into their own like they did kind of like they did last year, and then it's and it's five ranked opponents in a row. Yeah. So it's um, you're gonna need to upset someone and, for sure. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're gonna need to upset someone if you're gonna get to it. I think. Yeah, and I think one of these five teams after Xavier, I think one of them, I, I think it's possible that one or two of them could sleep on St. John's. Mm-hmm. Um, Marquette and, uh, I think Marquette and Butler, the last two at the end of the year, I think those are probably going to be the two most winnable. Yeah. Uh, even though winning at Hinkle's tough, but uh, Marquette, I, I think there's a viable blueprint for St. John's to disrupt some of the stuff Marcus Howard does. Mm-hmm. And that just, none of that happened last time we played Marquette. <laughs> But uh, uh, I, I, yeah, I think it's a long shot. But I, I think five is probably the high end of uh, wins we can get this year. Absolutely, yeah. there, there's a shot. They will. They, they're getting one more. I, I feel confident they'll get one more. I, I, and I, I think, like you said, you know, they can upset someone. 
they can get to two and, and, and we'll see from there. That's that's the goal, though, I think, to get to five. But uh, I, I don't want to keep you any longer, man. We're, we're pushing up on midnight here. So thank you for giving me a couple of minutes here very, very late at night after that really, really long game. Uh, you know, you're you're one of the original guests on this show from last season. So I'm happy that we could have you on here at least once this season and hopefully now uh, maybe at some point in the next couple of weeks as well. But thank you for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, any, anytime you need me, Joel, I'll, I'll be there. All right, man. Well, we will talk soon for sure. Keep up the good good work on Rumble as well. All right, we'll do. All right, talk soon. All right, big thanks once again to David G. Combs for coming on there. Like I said, one of the original members of of this show, uh, one of the one of our first guests who came on last season, actually. So I appreciate that we were able to get him on uh, at least once this season. Hopefully more though, uh, as as the rest of the season progresses, and hopefully uh, next season as well. Uh, big thanks to David once again for doing that. My thoughts on some news for the Red Storm uh, that's come out. We'll start with the Mustafa Heron injury. Listen, it's a real shame for Heron. You just felt like he was never really uh, healthy. You know, at all, and in the in the two years that he was at St. John's, um, you know, starting last year, obviously he dealt with injuries. Really, that entire season felt like it hampered him, and that was one of the you know more disappointing uh, Red Storm teams in recent memory. Obviously, that he's a part of, and then this year he comes in. You know, expected to be really option number one, or if not option number one, option number you know one A for this Red Storm team. Uh, you know, expecting a big season, got off to a pretty good start this season, and then uh, deals with that injury that he suffered, the ankle injury. Looked like it could have been you know season ending. Luckily, it was not. He but he comes back and he just never really was himself uh, throughout Big East place. Really, really struggled in Big East play. Uh, couldn't really find his form. Had that one nice game against DePaul uh, on the road, and really everything else was a struggle for Heron. And now we hear, obviously, that his his season is now over, or expected to be over, and obviously his collegiate career over as well. Like I said, it, it's a shame, you know, because Taron came in here, five star recruit, obviously one of the uh, you know the leading scorer on an Auburn team that was very very good in the SEC. You know, you came in with very very high hopes, and you know to say that he didn't live up to them isn't really fair. Like I said, he just wasn't healthy enough to to you know be able to live up to those expectations. He just felt like he was always dealing with something, and you saw that the talent was there for Heron. You know, you saw glimpses of it. You know, the Central Connecticut game, obviously earlier in this season, um, the DePaul game, like I just mentioned earlier in the season. You saw the glimpses of it of what he can be. So it's just a shame to see his St. John's career kind of end in such a, a you know not very memorable way, where he never really got that big moment uh, that I think we were all hoping when he transferred here in uh, in May of 2018 but very very you know best of luck to Mustafa now uh, uh you know going going forward uh in what, what will hopefully be a professional career I would assume he wants to play professionally so best of luck to Mustafa hopefully the NBA and, and the professional scouts are seeing you know the tape that he's put out there already you know the positive tape that he's put out there already and will use that to his advantage going forward but best of luck uh to Mustafa someone else who who deserves some luck as well Shimori Pons it had been reported earlier in earlier on Wednesday at least that he was signing overseas to play in Italy. Uh, then it came out that he was no longer expected to sign with that Italian team. I'm not really sure uh, exactly where this whole process is. He, he was on the, the broadcast tonight on CBS and didn't seem to mention anything about Italy, so I guess he's not going over to Italy now, but uh, my following point will remain the same. Um, you know, another another one where, you know, you kind of wonder if it would have helped him out. You never want to question a kid. 
You never want to criticize a kid for leaving early and, and, and wanting to make money. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, I almost did there and I caught myself. You're not going to want to question a kid. You're not going to want to criticize a kid for, for making money. You don't know people's situations. You know, you don't know where people are at in life and you just don't know if people want to make money. That's that's what, what every guy, kid in college is playing for or every you know person plays basketball for at that level is to eventually one day make money. And, you know, for Shimori Pons, he wanted to make money last year, so be it. I wasn't totally against the decision at the time to go to the NBA draft, and I was legitimately surprised when he went undrafted. So I can't really criticize him for going uh, into the NBA draft last season. But it is, again, a shame that you see now uh, he was unable to stick on with the Rockets. He was unable to stick on with the Raptors, and now he's going overseas. He was at the game again tonight as well. You wonder if there's a little bit of regret in there for Shimori leaving early a little bit. and But, you know, I don't want to get into his head, like I said, and I don't want to question any of the decisions that he made. But for the fan base, I can speak for all of us when I say it's a shame for us fans that we weren't able to see that senior year for Shimori Pons. You know, all that we've mentioned this season for St. John's was they're missing that point guard. They're missing that creator. They're missing that guy that ki- that guy who can make things happen for his teammates. And Shimori Pons would have obviously fit that bill. They're missing that closer. You know, no disrespect to LJ Figueroa and Mustafa Heron, they weren't that closer. Shamori Pons, we saw it from his freshman year to his to his junior year. He was that closer for St. John's. He bailed them out of a lot of situations. And you, you got to feel like if, if Pons was here, and I hate to play this game, that Butler game ends differently, that Georgetown game ends differently, that Seton Hall game ends differently. You just, you got to, you got to, you can't help but wonder maybe, you know, where they would be if Pons was here. Would they have three more wins? Would they be 17 and 8 right now? I think they'd be a tournament team if Shamori Pons was still here and, you know, battling with Marcus Howard and Miles Powell and Kamar Baldwin and Alpha Diallo, you know, battling with those seniors uh, that, that came back for their senior season. So it's a tough situation, obviously, for us fans. You know, he, he's making money still, so I'm not going to say he's in a tough situation. I, I'm sure his dream is to play in the NBA, and he was very, very close to that. He obviously did uh, appear for a little bit with the Raptors, but he was right there. The, the dream is you know, far from dead, obviously, but, but, um, you know, for us fans, it's, it's tough to see, to, to think what could have been, excuse me, what could have been, uh, for Shimori Pons in his senior season at St. John's where I, I think they'd be a tournament team for sure. If, if Pons was here, I, I just think that obviously, like I mentioned, the closer that he is and just being able to get his teammates, t- teammates, the ball is just, you know, uh, would have helped immensely this season. And then my thoughts on Ian Steer real real quick. Uh, Steer was suspended indefinitely. Seemed like he just wasn't putting in the effort, Zach Braziller said. He wasn't putting in the effort that his teammates were, and uh, that's led to his indefinite suspension. It feels an awful lot like this is the end of the road for Ian Steer at St. John's. Um, Was here, obviously, excuse me, last year as a transfer, and now this... um, and now this off season or this season comes back, uh, isn't able to play until December. And then when he is able to play now, he hasn't really been able to crack the court. We had all kind of assumed it was an effort uh, type thing. And now this kind of confirms that it was that lack of effort in practice and maybe even in games for Ian Steer, who looks like a talented kid. Don't get me wrong, but just doesn't seem like he's been able to put it together for the Red Storm now. And, and like I said, feels like the end of the road. 
You never know. You know, if he wants to stick around at St. John's and improve himself in this offseason, you know, more power to him. And I think the Red Storm would welcome him back for sure. But uh, if this if this is at the end of the road, it's definitely a disappointing time in, in Queens for Ian Steer, who came in. Another guy came in with a lot of hype and hasn't really lived up to that hype really at all. So uh, we'll, we'll see. You know, I'm sure that'll kind of develop over the next over the coming days and weeks uh, what Ian Steer decides to do going forward he's already transferred once he's already had to sit out a full season once so maybe that factors into his decision as well and obviously that could factor into the roster construction looking ahead to next year as well but that just about wraps up our late night show for tonight uh if you are listening late at night go to bed because it is probably very very late uh and if you're listening wednesday or thursday morning thank you as well we will be back we'll have a show uh midweek next week we're not going to do one after the xavier game i'm going to do a probably periscope after the xavier game and then we will do a midweek podcast next week uh previewing the st john's seton hall matchup that i will be in attendance for uh next sunday i believe so we return to the site of the screw job there next sunday but thank you all for listening um and uh, we will be back next week with another show. Let's go, Johnny's.